Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Daniel Cooper is a former trader, programmer, and serial entrepreneur who streamlines businesses across the globe through the use of technology and automation. With a team of engineers, analysts, and consultants working alongside him at Lolly.co, the digital transformation company he founded two years ago, Daniel is on a mission to help as many business owners as possible ride the wave of technology, turning sluggish companies into fast-paced, technology-backed enterprises. I could do with a bit of help, obviously. From world-renowned accounting firms to London's top-rated cosmetic clinics, could do one of those as well, the company's consulting services extend across all business sizes, types, and industries. Um, I'm, I'm in awe of today's guest, Daniel Cooper. I will start by thanking him most sincerely for joining us. He comes with uh, quite a CV, quite a reputation, and he's going to talk to us today about stuff I know absolutely nothing about. So hopefully he will drag me and lots of you screaming and kicking into the real world. Uh, Daniel Cooper, thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you, Sandro. I'm flattered and honoured to be here today. Uh, and I Look forward to helping those listening conquer any technology or automation points they're looking at and helping people understand the journey that I've been on so far. Well, two things I noticed uh, just about before this podcast today started, Daniel. One is the way you travel around your office, which is very impressive. Your your chair has <laughs> wheels and you managed to... Uh, to cover a space of about what looks about 10 meters in, in lightning quick time. And the other thing I'm, I'm extremely jealous of is you have a lovely head of hair and a, and a nice dark beard showing no gray whatsoever, which obviously tells us that you're somewhat younger or you have a very good relationship with Grecian 2000 or whatever it's called these days. Well, thanks. Sandro has framed that very well. What he's <laughs> failed to mention to anyone actually listening to this is the fact that Actually, I haven't had a haircut in about three months, uh, and I certainly haven't shaved in probably about the same time. So there is a reason why being remote like we are in our company has its benefits, and <laughs> barbers oh. and hairdressers being shut may be one of them. Oh, to have curly hair, you see, because it, uh, it, um, it takes care of itself if you've not had a haircut. Okay, down to the serious business of finding all, uh, all about you today, Daniel. Um, background. Uh, you know this this extraordinary career and this amazing knowledge that you've uh, you know you've you've built up over the years with you know lots of successes and and before today's show we talked about some of the failures as well so we'll explore those as well just to to make sure we've got some perspective here but for those who don't know you uh, a little a little brief CV where it all started and how you ended up where you are today at lolly.co sure uh, well. I think when you look at anyone's background professionally, I think it's worth looking at where they came from, where they grew up and along those types of lines. I grew up in the countryside in, in middle England. So there was lots of outdoor play and, and, and vast expanses of fields and hedgerows to explore. Although I spent my entire time in my bedroom on my Super Nintendo or taking apart my father's PC, much to his utter frustration. Uh, and he, to this day, he will not let me touch his PC at home. I kid you not. 
No one is to touch the computer, especially me. Uh, I, I was a, a very non-sporty child, really. Uh, and I think I was very middle of the road academic-wise. Not because I wasn't intelligent. I just really couldn't be bothered. Uh, I was quite, had a lot of apathy to the whole thing and really saw it in a bad way now, I would admit. And, and I would certainly not recommend my children did the same thing. Um, I really saw it as a, uh, a hindrance to me getting home in front of my computer and fiddling about with it. Now, I've had a varied a varied career, and I think I've been very lucky. I've taken quite a lot of risks, really, jumping from career to career. Uh, but the general gist of, of, of who I am and, and what I've done is, is that I've started a few companies, a few of them in great success. Uh, one has been an awful failure. I've worked in the city uh, as a broker and a trader, which was a baptism of fire. Uh, and I now run uh, a company that's, as you said, is a couple of years old, uh, with a whole team uh, of like-minded consultants and, and engineers, uh, and we help companies transform and accelerate. You talk about success and, and failure, and I mentioned it as well, partly in the introduction, Daniel. Um, you are, by your own admission, a risk taker. There's a lots of people out there that want to take a risk in life or business at the moment and kind of can't get out those starting blocks. You talk about being a natural risk taker. What Do you think people are born that way? Is it life's experience that have led you to understand that taking risk, although it can possibly lead to more failure, ultimately creates a better outcome? What do you say to the people who want to take a risk but can't? So they you know, talk about apathy, people who are kind of a bit stuck and don't know what to do next. I think what you need to do is you, is you need to break it down. So when we're talking about taking risks and, and the fear of taking risk is the fear of the unknown. We're all scared of the unknown. This is why naturally, many adults still, and almost every child, if they walk into a room and it's dark, they're scared. They're scared of the, being the unknown. And this is why most people who haven't done any type of boxing or any type of martial arts are often quite intimidated by the thought of getting into a, a physical altercation because it's the fear of the unknown, the unfamiliar. And I think that really is what risk-taking is all about. I think you need to, as I said, break it down and prepare yourself. So you need to build a slight safe harbor for yourself, financially, of course, so that if you do take a risk that you can only go back to square one, not to zero. But you need to be quite stoic in the fact that sometimes things don't work out and sometimes they do, but no matter what you do in life, the wheel of fortune continually turns. And one minute you're on the up, the next minute you're on the down and it will continue to turn. So the very worst thing you can do is never take a risk because that's a life unfulfilled. And when it, when it does go wrong, uh, and you've mentioned that it has for you a couple of times, and I appreciate your honesty because otherwise we just see you as a, as a superhero. Um, when it goes wrong, what do you do to, um, you know, mend either the the physical, the mental, the financial damage? How how do you then progress? Because there are lots of people out there, and we get dozens and dozens and dozens of emails every week from people who say, you know, I've I've had a a failure. I've, I've, something's gone wrong and, and I kind of now I'm stuck and I, I don't take the next step because I don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. How do you dust yourself down and find that stoicism and that strength that you, that you talk of? 
so when you take a risk and you get a failure, some failures are, are greater than others and have more of an impact on you psychologically. So for instance, we don't win every client that comes to us naturally. Sometimes we're out of people's budget. Sometimes they want something that we can't provide, or sometimes it's just not a good match. So that will often hurt, right? And for me, I'm able to reframe that and say, okay, well, let's step away and let's learn the lessons and let's look at how we could be better next time and what we can learn from it. That's one example. But there are other examples which have been a far greater pain point. So sometimes staff at Lolly, I will coach them on how to deal with these small failures and these small things they need to get beyond. But one thing that sticks out in my mind quite heavily is a, is a failure that I went through uh, I believe about four years ago now, I, I was running a software company. It was a, a software startup and it was called Cluboid. And I built this startup off of the back of the idea that software for running and maintaining nightclubs, bars, and restaurants, and often those three types of businesses cross boundaries now. So it's quite common to have a restaurant, which technically is a nightclub and quite often uh, to have a a, a, a vice versa, right? And it, it, they really do go between. But there was no real, uh, there was no real management system for this to manage their incoming bookings, their marketing. So, so we built something, and it was, in my opinion, a wonderful product. And we had serious backing from some serious financial backers in London uh, and up in Birmingham. And and it was a, it was you know a fantastic journey. But at the end of the day, we couldn't win at the time because there was an entrenched competitor. I believe that we could uproot them, but that turned out to be a much, much harder journey than I envisaged. And in the end, it got to a point where we were running out of money so quickly that I was concerned for the staff's wage, wage bill for the next two months. And in the end, it came down to it, and I made the very hard decision to close the company. Obviously, then that then means sitting down with everyone individually as a staff member and breaking the news to them. And unfortunately, it is your failing as a business owner or leader when that does happen because everything does come back to you as the, as the owner. If a staff member makes a mistake or the business takes a wrong turn, it does come back to you. I fundamentally believe that. And obviously then sitting down with each one of the investors uh, and breaking the news to them. And I found it personally particularly hard. Um, and I spent a number of months really licking my wounds and having to take time out. Uh, and it did take me uh, quite some time to then say, right, let's have another go. But you need to decompress and you need to just give yourself a bit of a break and say, it's, it's okay that it didn't work out and it's okay that you failed at something. The most important thing is that you tried because if you never tried, then you could never win. But if you try yeah. and you fail, well, that's, that's okay. Mm. That's that's good enough for now, and you can learn from it. So I learned some great lessons from that, some fantastic lessons, uh, and certainly lessons that we would never make again, uh, and lessons that we would certainly advise our clients against. Daniel, you mentioned two words that that really resonate with me. Pain point is what you said earlier on. Now uh, I, I sit here with you today. Uh, thinking my pain point is his technology. I, I, you know, I do everything I can at the age of 52 to resist the changes and, uh, and the way that I am confronted by technology. Um, quite aside from the fact we don't have enough time for you to ever teach me the things I need to know, even to get out the starting blocks. Obviously, the, the, the changes in technology um, 
everything that's happening, they say now that it's more technology in an iPhone than there was that put man on the moon in 1968. Not sure that's true or not. But nevertheless, technological evolution, slowing down. Have we reached a peak? Is there further to go? Uh, so what, what I'm asking you is, does somebody like me, age 52, is it time to embrace it? Or do I think, you know, I don't have to worry about it in my lifetime. It, 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 where do you see technology as we, as we sit here today? I think the adoption of technology on an individual point is something that is, is very important. And again, it, it is resistance is what we're talking about here, the fear of the unknown. Now, an interesting point on this, if you asked most computer programmers, developers, engineers, whatever you want to call them, how they learned the programming language that they know, more often than not, they will say, well, I taught myself. Most of them, I would probably say 60% have a computer science degree. Now, in a computer science degree, much like an English literature degree, or I'll rephrase that again for those who can pronounce it properly, English <laughs> literature degree, you don't learn the art of writing a novel. That's something you have to learn through practice. And it's the same thing with, with technology. So these guys have, and girls have, have taught themselves how to do that. There is no difference in them learning a programming language than anyone listening, learning any part of technology they want. The great thing about the internet is, is that you can learn anything instantly for free. We, a great example here is machine learning and AI, as we know, is, is coming to the forefront of technology. And it's going to become more and more utilized generally in society as we push forwards. The problem that I had personally with machine learning is that although we often talk about the end result of this, what we don't talk about is the journey of getting there. Now, to create machine learning, you need some hardcore mathematics. And as the owner of a business, I need to make sure that I understand that mathematics to lead my team. So in very much the same way, I had to go back and relearn a huge amount of mathematics and more. So that type of tech adoption is, is a good, is a really good example of, of really looking at what you're trying to achieve and saying, do you know what? I'm just going to do it anyway and go for it. Technology is moving fast. It won't stop. You're fighting the tide by trying to resist. Uh, and it's a logarithmic increase of technology. So as in what was happening yesterday, well, you can expect double the speed today. And because we can only learn really at one speed, we can't learn in a logarithmic fashion. We'd all be geniuses by the end of the year. It feels like a real fight. But I think that by embracing it will only lead to good things. So the whole learning access to information thing that you, you mentioned, does it does it remove, in your opinion, something from life's experiences? I, mean, you, I was chuckling to myself when you talk about, you know, the PC and I'm thinking Nintendo, I'm thinking Atari, I'm yeah. thinking MS-DOS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I mean, had to, the first computer I've had, there was almost like a crank handle at the, at the back of it. Um, and the first mobile phone that was, you know, this huge thing on a, on a brick that you'd carry around like a suitcase. Um, but does it not take something away from life? And I don't want this to become a political conversation at all, because you're coming at this from from your angle, which is absolutely fine. I think I think I'm asking this question on behalf of a number of kind of mums and dads out there who look at the attention span of their kids, which are much narrower these days. 
I suppose from a from a positive perspective, that access to information, the ability to learn things and pick things up quicker is, is clearly a definite advantage. But are there things that we can do to, I don't know, reconnect with the outside world? Because I see more and more kids, you know, engrossed in their phone, in a in a handheld device or whatever it is. Is there a is there a moral dilemma here for you? I think there's a limit. Absolutely. I have a, a three-year-old uh, and a two-year-old. Both of them are capable of using an iPad and changing whatever they want to watch on YouTube or Amazon or whatever it is they're, they're streaming from. And you do have to guide them and you do have to be very careful with it. And I, I'm not talking about inappropriate content. I'm talking more generalist content. Mm. If my three-year-old allowed it, she would watch just nonsense. Just constantly, mm. just just absolute nonsense. So we try and guide her on it. So we we try and pick topics for her to look to learn on the devices. And you do have to look to restrict some of that screen time. That That is important. Even as adults, we know that when we go to bed, we shouldn't be on our mobile phones because of blue light. Yeah, 90% of us do it. Mm. I guarantee the person listening to this podcast right now if they think about when they went to bed last night, their phone was probably within arm's reach. Mm. So I think decompressing from technology is actually really important. Even myself, almost every day, I will take an hour's break and I will go for a walk. I'm very lucky to be based in the countryside, which gives me that ability, of course. Um, but I will go for an hour's walk in the middle of the day just to go away from the technology. And I will leave my phone in the office because the worst case is I could come back and my small home office is burned to the ground. But that is the very worst case scenario. And even if that did happen, I wouldn't be there to see it. And no one else is there to tell me because we have a remote company. So it yeah. will all still survive and things can carry on. But yeah, I think you're right. There, there does need to be a limit on how much we really look to interact with technology on that point. We should, I and mean, this has been going on for a long time, though, even back to 70s and 80s. It used to be when I was a child, there were just four TV stations, but we'd all mm. still watch it all night. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't sound too productive. Uh, now, Daniel, because you are very smart uh, and uh, very pragmatic and very proactive and a bit of a risk taker, you've written a book, and I doff my cap to anyone because I. Talk about pain points. I remember how painful it was writing mine. It took ages. Yep. Um, so you've written a book, Upgrade, soon to be published, and we'll let all the listeners know when that happens. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, if you would, and, and also I'm particularly interested to know about the configured calculator to pass a maths exam story. Sure, absolutely. Well, I, I decided a, a few months ago, it was over Christmas actually, that I thought I had the bright idea of, of wouldn't it be great to write, to write a book? Now, easier said than done, <laughs> and it does certainly take some time. And, and I'd had a lot of notes pulled together from before, from other bits of writing that I'd done that were unpublished. And I thought, well, we could just pull all this together. How hard can it be? It's actually really hard. It's possibly one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do. I think actually the most difficult thing about it, if anyone does try and write a book of their own, when you're generally writing, whether or not it's a paragraph or two or, or an essay or a dissertation, your brain is trying to keep all that information in your mind at the same time to keep a flow. It's very hard to track, but there we go. But the book itself is about um, 
about transforming companies and productivity. So as technology comes forwards, as we need to embrace it, we do need to move forward to the time. And, and that does include companies. Uh, there are some very famous stories where that hasn't happened, of course. Mm. Companies like Blockbuster, one of our favorite companies from childhood and, and, and late teens that we all have, of course, for the person listening here who's thinking, I don't know what Blockbuster is because you're in your early 20s and it may have disappeared by the time you can recall. Uh, Blockbuster was a brilliant shop on every high street that you could walk in and find every video cassette, pretty much of every single film, unless someone had already rented it, which was a problem. Uh, and you could also buy some popcorn and take it home and watch it and, and make the solemn promise to Blockbuster that you would rewind the tape before you returned it or suffer the wrath of Blockbuster. Uh, but Netflix came along uh, and Blockbuster didn't really think it was a big deal at the time until it was too late, until they couldn't actually pivot in time to, to do it. And the very sad part of it is that Netflix, at one point in this battle with Blockbuster, were running out of cash, actually offered Blockbuster themselves on a plate saying, you can buy us for $50 million, we think it's a steal, and Blockbuster laughed at them. There's only one blockbuster left now, unfortunately, and it's up in, I think, very far in North America, uh, and it's on Airbnb. If anyone wants to look it up, you can rent it for a hundred or so dollars for a night and have a go back to the '90s for the night. But there we go. But the book really is is about how you move your company forward and how you adopt the technology and how you adopt productivity change and really take those uh, strategies and techniques that. Silicon Valley has been applying for decades to your business, which is a traditional business based anywhere in the world uh, and move it forward. And you don't actually need to be a technology expert. It's written for people who can't code. It's written for people who aren't technologically literate to move things forward. Um, you did mention about the calculator. I mentioned earlier on that I had a real apathy when it came to learning at school. And there was a, a teacher called Mr. Templeton in my secondary school in, in Oxfordshire. And I was called into the headmaster's office one day and he said, uh, the GCSE train is leaving and you're not on it, Daniel. And if you're listening to this and you think, what is a GCSE? It was the, it was a 16 year old at, at school takes in the UK. And then they would move on to uh, higher education from there. And I remember I'm not really being bothered by it. My mother being awfully embarrassed. Uh, and I thought, I, I wonder if there's a way out. Uh, and there was, they'd, they'd issued us all with these new Casio calculators and they were loads of buttons. You can still buy these. They're scientific calculators. I've actually got one here on my desk. And these calculators, I mean, the teachers didn't really know how to use them. And we certainly didn't know how to use them. But I discovered after tinkering with it, in class, bored, again, lack of apathy, uh, and just wanted to tinker with technology, that it actually, you could program things onto this. So we had a bit of a laugh between myself and some of the other computer nerds in the class uh, and made some small games. But then I twigged that actually, you could probably program this thing with all of the syllabus that you needed from, from the GCC exam that year yeah. and it spit out not only the answer but the workings because often in a maths exam they would want the workings of how you arrived at the answer so yeah i cheated completely and utterly uh, and did really quite well <laughs> I, I, I 
much to the surprise of, of most people who are amazed. But the funny thing about the whole thing is, though, Sandro, is that in reality, to to program the calculator or program anything, you have to understand how the thing works in the first place. So mm. actually, the only person who really was was hoodwinked was me. But at the same time, it, it was a it was a nice uh, shortcut on productivity and automation. Yeah, you which... see, see, the thing is, I I wouldn't say that was cheating. I'd say that's like today's equivalent of an open book exam. You know, you've got all the information in front of you, just referring to it, right? I mean, um, I'm sure there's lots of people in, in the educational system who disagree with what I've just said, but anyway, we'll move <laughs> yeah. on. Um, so we talked a little bit about AI, uh, artificial intelligence, you know, robo, just about platforms that allow you to access uh, real-time, real-life information delivered from someone other than a human being. How does society deal with that? I'm thinking about, you know, we've got this, this lockdown generation of young people who are now finding it very challenging to find work post-university school. Um, the Lolly Foundation, a uh, good time to introduce that because, you know, you're, you're very much aiming that at tackling this particular issue. Do you mind explaining a little bit more about the Lolly Foundation and what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe that everyone deserves a chance, sometimes a second, sometimes a third. And you can find some incredibly talented and, and intelligent people in all walks of life. Um, and sometimes people just get left behind, especially the very smart people. They can often be very shy and they don't really try to put themselves out there too much. It's hard for them to stand out in the noise. I also think that Diamonds are formed under pressure, which certainly has been the case across the last year. So we have a foundation now that anyone can find on our website and anyone can apply to. And what it sets out to do is take you from a position where you know no code and then allow you to learn how to become a web or software engineer. And we will either help you find a position or if we have one open, we'll offer you one within our own ranks. All of our developers are self-taught uh, and we share knowledge between all of us and we push education as quite a large thing internally. Uh, so it's important that we share that with people. Um, I, I think that everyone deserves that opportunity and, and why not? I love that expression, diamonds are formed under pressure. It's al that's almost the title of another book. Um, but we'll have that conversation on another, on another have occasion for, free for the next book. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I've got it in me to write another one. Um, I'm just about finished with the second, and I think that that's my lot. I'm going to retire from any kind of writing. And the first wasn't a literary classic by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, um, Daniel, apart from asking the obvious question, which is how do we and the listeners find out more about you? So Daniel Cooper, Lolly.co. I mean, and that, I suppose that's easy enough to look up. But you know, are you the social media presence kind of guy or are you so introvert you don't strike me as being too introvert but are you the kind of person who absolutely do not put myself out there on social media i ask you because lots of people will be sending me emails otherwise going how do we get hold of this guy and i'm just trying to save myself a whole load of admin of course so tip number one don't follow me on instagram because i just spend my entire life in the office so it will be a picture of me at my desk working not too exciting if you want to follow me on twitter a little more interesting. That's I'm Daniel Cooper. That's my Twitter handle, uh, where you will find me talking about technology, business, automation, and anything and everything around those topics. 
you can, of course, go to the website for the book, which is upgradethebook.com. Although it's released in June, you are able to sign up to the pre-release uh, and we will email you chapter by chapter over the next few months so that you're able to get the jump. Uh, of course, you can head to lolly.co, which is our website, and, and find out more about the foundation and everything we're doing as a company there, of course. Fantastic. Good for you. And I, I suppose the final question, we do ask all our guests this, but I'm really interested to hear what you've got to say on this one. Let's imagine, um, you know, your three-year-old in, in time to come approaches you one day and says, Daddy, you know, I've I've stood in in great admiration of all you've achieved, the successes and the failures. You know, we've talked a, a lot today, Daniel, about learning from those mistakes and those uh, those failures in life, whatever failure is to different people. And all of those great things, you know, clearly I'm coming to you for a few words of wisdom because I want to make the very best I can of life, get on the right path, be the very best version of myself I can be. And I'm looking to you for one single piece of advice, that piece of advice that almost trumps all of the other learnings and lessons that you've had from life. What would that piece of advice be to your three-year-old? Outwork everybody. That's, that, that is a, a terrific way, I think, to end um, what has been a really, really... Fascinating doesn't sound like I'm doing you enough justice, so I apologise if that's not an appropriate adjective. But um, I, I've got lots of action points in my own mind, as I know many, many listeners will do too, uh, not least the fact that I should probably sign up <laughs> to your foundation <laughs> and see if I can learn something. Um, I, I think there's going to be, uh, in fact, I'm sure of this, there's going to be calls for uh, for many of our listeners to have you back to talk about what you do, because so few guests actually talk about technology and the yeah. advances in it, how we use it to our advantage and why it's not necessarily a threat to society as we know it. Um, all I can do for the moment, uh, probably until we get to part two, is to thank you, Daniel Cooper, very, very much for being a really, really amazing guest on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Thank you so much, Sandro. It was a real pleasure. And I look forward to returning at some point to talk more about technology.